0: Facebook.com slash radio detectives. I do want to encourage you if you've not already to check out my ebooks. All I needed to know I learned from Columbo and the sequel book, All I Needed to Know, I Learned from Dragnet. In these two ebooks, I examine the careers and histories of seven great fictional detectives and policemen and life lessons that can be learned from them. You can get these wherever fine ebooks are sold or as an audiobook through the iTunes Store or Audible.com. Well, now it's time to celebrate 2,950 episodes. Uh, which we uh, hit on Tuesday. Uh, This uh, time we're going to play an episode of Suspense, and this one is the Argyle Album. The original air date is September the 4th of 1947, and uh, let's go ahead and take a
1: listen.
2: Suspense! In America's most discriminating homes and clubs... Where dining and entertaining is the last word in luxury, the first word in wines is C-R-E-S-T-A, B-L-A-N-C-A, Cresta, Blanca, Cresta Blanca. Yes, Cresta Blanca, California wines bring gracious luxury to your table from the finest of the vines. When you pour superb Cresta Blanca Burgundy, sautern or any Cresta Blanca table wine, you enjoy the wine offered in America's most discriminating homes. For the best, serve
3: Cresta Blanca. Shenley's Cresta Blanca Wine Company, Livermore, California. And now, Shenley brings you radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, for your everyday enjoyment.
4: And now, Roma Wines of Fresno, California, bring you Mr. Edmund O'Brien in the Argyle Album, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Shenley by
2: William Spears. Back when I got my first job on the Herald, Alan Pierce was its star reporter. A little later, he went to Washington and became top dog of all syndicated political columnists. Piers could tell you what the president said when he didn't like his breakfast and who was getting paid off for what, by whom, and how much. He was a national big shot, so naturally, his coming back to the hometown last January, he got local front page. Especially since the first thing happens, he checks into the Belden General Hospital from a heart attack he had on the train, right as it pulled into the station. <laughs> Quite an entrance in time. Well, maybe you remember. Just when 22 million anxious readers were waiting for his promised expose of the contents of the Argyle album. The thing he'd been building up in his columns for about two weeks before. Huh. Teapot Dome was going to be a church club misunderstanding compared to this.
1: Naturally, all the
2: boys hung around the anteroom of his hospital suite during visiting hours, but nobody from the press cracked the door to the sick room for the first three days. Then, on the fourth morning, Van Selden, the doctor, came hey, smiling hey, out hey, into hey, the hey, anteroom. Hey, good morning, Captain.
1: Uh,
4: hey,
5: Mr. Pierce would have willingly seen you all the first day.
4: Of course, as his medical advisor, I couldn't permit anything of the sort. However, today I'll allow you to see him one at a time. What's that? I suggest that you gentlemen draw straws or something for turns. Oh, that is, except the man from the Herald.
1: Mr. Pierce asked asked
4: expressly to see him first. Hey, the Herald man, that's me. He's the Herald representative here. Over here, doctor.
5: Do you want to come in now?
4: Right with you, doctor. Hey, Pinky, come here. Harry,
2: listen, Dr. Van
5: Selden, this
4: is Mr. Melvin Pinkus, the Herald's best
2: and, believe me, quietest photographer. Now, he's very good for patients. I wonder... I'm
4: afraid not, mister. Mitchell. Okay, Doc. Okay. Stand by, Pete. All right, sir. Let this gentleman in.
1: I'll
6: be on the fifth floor. Very well. Hello there. How are you, sir? You're Harry Mitchell, aren't you? That's right, Mr. Pierce. Come on, I'll make it, Al. (laughs) All right, Al. (sighs) So you're young Mitchell. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. How time flies. I spoke to the old man on the phone. I, I said, send your next Alan Pierce over. And he sent you. Do you consider that a compliment? Compliment,
2: brother? <laughs> I'm going to hit him for a nice fat raise.
6: Well, Harry, have you got your questions all written down like a good reporter should? Oh, no,
2: I, I, I don't work that way, sir. I... Neither do I.
6: I suppose you want to know what the Argyle album is?
2: Hey, you're not really going to tell me. <laughs> Look. Crank me up a little bit, will you? Yeah, sure, sure.
6: Harry. Harry, it's got to a point where I think I ought to share it with somebody. Preferably somebody like myself who who thinks like me. And I'm going to ask you not to use this unless I'm not in a position to. Okay. Okay, it's a deal. Uh, Well, you know what an album is. This one is quite a fancy-looking one. Tooled, white leather-bound and a flaming crimson double-headed eagle crest etched on the cover. <laughs> it's an impressive item.
2: Maybe... Say, maybe you better take it easy, Mr. Pierce. You were going to call me Al. Okay, okay, Al, but no. honest, maybe you better... I'm all right, I'm
6: all right. I'm... I'm a little dizzy. Want the doctor? No, no. Now just a drink. A drink of water, please. He lay back on his pillow,
2: breathing terribly. There was a thermos on the bedstand that turned out empty. I grabbed a glass and ran into the bathroom, filled it from the tap. I'll be right there, Al. Mr. Pierce. Al. Oh. I stood there for a while, feeling awfully bad, thinking awfully hard. Finally figured an idea. Hey,
1: Harry. Pinky. Come
2: on, There I am, General. Is going to pose? Yeah, yeah. He's going to pose. Come on in here. Uh, on, huh? What's going on? Pinky. Huh? Pinky, look at him. He's... He's dead. Huh? Passed out while we were talking. This is our beat. It's big. It's a scoop. I don't want those other tin horns out there cutting in.
4: What are you going to do? I'm going
2: out and phone. You stay here and don't let anybody in through that door.
4: You're not letting me alone with him. An old hound like
2: you, are you kidding? I don't like it. I went out... To the pay station in the hall and phoned in the story. Then I found Doctor Van Selbin on the fifth floor and broke the news. Between the fifth and seventh floor, where Pierce's suite was, we picked up the chief surgeon, superintendent, four nurses, and litter bearers and attendants. We went through the anteroom where the reporters were.
1: The newspaper boys
2: smelled something was up. Nobody'd left them in Pierce's room, but the official hospital gang and me barged in and headed straight for the bed where the corpse was. I got a funny feeling. Pinky wasn't in the room. Dr. Van Silberman and the chief surgeon went over to the bed and pulled back the covers and you could feel the shock go through the whole crowd. A long steel scalpel was sticking right up in the middle of Alan Pierce's chest. An hour later, Lieutenant Horslip Sampson, who was top man in homicide, strutted in and took over. He got the story from us and just sat there for a while, thinking, very professional, exuding brilliance. Then His Majesty rose and spoke.
5: Dr. Van Shelpen? Yes, sir. In your opinion, did your patient die from a heart attack, as our reporter friend here claimed, or from the knife wound? I really can't tell you yet. Indications are that it might be either. You
4: see, in either case, the heart was stopped. Yeah,
2: yeah, the heart usually stops in cases of death, doesn't it, Doc, huh? The only thing is, I took his pulse before I left the room. There was no pulse. That scalpel could just as well have been stuck in a loaf of bread for all the damage it would Mitchell!
5: where would you leave a dead man and report Why'd you leave the photographer here without telling the noise? I was a reporter
2: with a scoop. Who'd you expect me to leave here? Somebody from the express?
5: Noise? were you outside the door the whole time? Yes, sir,
4: with the reporters. And nobody came out except Mr. Mitchell. The photographer went in but
5: never came out. Take a stand in the bathroom, Haggerty. Yes, sir. Now, there's nobody here, Chief. Margeson, huh? those windows locked.
6: Yes?
2: Door slip should bring out your Scotland Yard. Too tough a spot to be fresh.
5: If I could only get an angle.
2: must be an angle. He got up sore and started looking around himself. He walked over to the white bed screen in the corner. <laughs> it's funny, it stood there all the time, such a natural piece of hospital equipment, you never noticed got
5: to get an angle. But even
2: now, before yeah, he I touched get it, I right, kind of an I knew what he'd find there. Now,
5: where am I, and I edged for a the handle. door.
2: He started to pull aside the screen like somebody'd look hopelessly in any unlikely spot for a lost collar button. Then he let the screen fall. Over. Holy And There was Pinky, Pinky, all huddled up among his photographic equipment with a surgeon's scalpel sticking out of his. Hey, neck. you,
1: Mitchell! 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 Mitchell!
2: I yelled to the reporters in the answer room that they could go in now. The crowd coming out after me met the crowd going in, and I was in the corridor while they argued it out. I was around the corner and in the elevator before the cops could get through. I walked right through the Waldorf lobby and up to the second floor, and nobody said a thing. Time was still with me. I knew Pierce's secretary was keeping suite two one three for him till he was supposed to get out of the hospital. May I come in? Well, I... am a friend of Mr. Pierce's, Mitchell of the Herald. Oh, what is it, Mr. Mitchell? Something I can do? Would you let me rifle your boss's desk, huh? What? Files, papers, and possessions. I'll, I'll put them back real neat. There's, there's something I have to find. Are you crazy? I was afraid that'd be your answer. What are you gonna do?
1: I'm sorry. Don't!
2: Really, yeah. I really was. Didn't like to hit a woman. Especially that cute. I searched the sweet top and bottom. If Pierce had ever had the Argyle album, he took no chances keeping it around. I found his personal address book, though figured it was no more use to him than it, it might be to me. Now I needed a place where I could sit down and think. Then I remembered I was carrying a key for my pal Joe Walsh's apartment while he was sunning himself in Florida. Yeah, at least nobody could figure my going there. At Walsh's place, I spent about 20 minutes with Pierce's address book. He had Washington phone numbers in it that hadn't been in public directories for the last 30 years. There was one in this town that had a red crayon circle around it. The query J-O-R-B-R-O-D on Worcester Street. Not the kind of neighborhood Alan Pierce usually socialized in. I was just about deciding I'd go and see jor Broad when somebody decided to pay me a visit. I checked through the keyhole. I didn't see much. But what there was to see was female. So I took my chances and opened the door. She stood there. About five foot seven of the most interesting stuff I ever
6: remember seeing. Not young, mind you, not angelic, but gorgeous and smart-looking and sweet-voiced.
7: Hello there. Who are you? May I come in?
6: Sure, it's
2: your risk. Who are you? You
7: may call me Marla, Mr. Mitchell, and I want the Argyle album.
2: Just like that?
7: No, not just like that. I could be nasty, you know. After all, the police want to.
2: Somehow, Marla, that doesn't worry me at all. I just don't think you make it a policy to have traffic with the police.
7: An astute youngster. I like
2: you. I like you, too, but I haven't time. I'll
7: give you $500 for it.
2: I don't even know what it is. What is the Argyle album? $10,000. Without a breath, huh? <laughs> There's some jump. $10,000? i am really sorry, Marla.
7: But I wanted to know. It's not for sale. Very well.
2: She moved so casually and directly to the door and opened it so quickly, I hadn't even gotten out of my chair before her two boyfriends stepped in. The first one looked like a fat businessman, hair slightly gray, nice smile. The one who followed him had the square, low-cut, irresistible appearance of a medium-sized tank. Mr.
7: Winter, uh, Mr. Holbrey, Mr. Mitchell. How do you do? He's not terribly cooperative. Oh, no? He doesn't perform, not for love, not for money. Very
2: stubborn. She really didn't try love, Mr. Winter. <laughs>
4: From what I know of Marla, that's hard to believe. Hey, Marla? <laughs> so
2: you're stubborn, Mr. Mitchell. A stubborn murderer. I'll repeat my question. What is the Argyle album?
4: My, my you are a gifted actor.
2: Uh, never mind. Forget it, Mr. Winter. Well, isn't
4: $10,000 enough? That's the best we can offer and still make a profit. Let's
2: not waste time.
4: Oh, I am sorry, my boy. I'm very sorry.
2: Very well, Gil. Yeah. The big guy stepped toward me. I ducked and took the table between us. Gil puts it aside like it was mashed. His left hand lashed out. He had the lapels of my coat, and I was lifted until my shoe tips touched the floor, helpless as a baby. He started slapping my face, front hand and back. It kept up and up like a hot lick in the drums, and the agony was unbearable. He stopped. I waited. Like you wait between pauses of the dentist drill. Then I, I guess I tried to move because I saw the small eyes flicker and the huge fist come swinging at my face. I wanted to duck, but couldn't. My hands were torn from in front of my face, and it came. Shocks of intolerable pain, like searing flames, and then flames flickered and went out.
4: For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Mr. Edmund O'Brien in the Argyle Album. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding Theater of Thrills. Suspense!
3: Suspense! Radio's outstanding theater of thrills is presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines. Selected from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines. Now that the vacation season is over, friends and neighbors are dropping in evenings to talk over summertime experiences make these pleasant reunions rich in cheerful companionship by serving delicious Roma California wines. Yes, guests are sure to feel right at home when you offer glasses of rich Roma Sherry, Roma Port, Roma Muscatel, or Roma touquet. These traditional Roma wines of welcome, long favorites with millions of Americans, add warmth to conversation, make every friendly occasion more enjoyable. There's a better tasting Roma wine for every occasion, for every taste. Keep an assortment on hand for everyday dining and gracious entertaining. Remember, always insist on Roma wine. That's R-O-M-A. Roma wines. America's favorite wines.
4: And Now Roma wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Edmund O'Brien as reporter Harry Mitchell in the Argyle Album. A play well calculated to keep you in... Suspense.
2: Oh, poor boy. I was in that's the bedroom of the apartment, my and Marlow was bathing my forehead with a damp handkerchief. I lay quiet until things cleared up a bit.
7: That's, that's a little, that's boy. Where's the album, darling?
2: Hmm? Where's the album? Hmm. I swear I don't know. I don't know. I don't know.
7: You don't want me to call him again, do you? Harry? No.
2: No, no, please. I no. In the kitchen. Huh? I'm
7: supposed to help you wake up again.
2: Please. No. No, don't. But
7: if you haven't got it, do you know where it is? I swear,
2: Mahler, I swear. I, I don't even know what it is. All I, all I know is it's old white leather or something.
7: Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Here's what I know. Winter found it originally. He was in occupied Europe then. He doesn't admit it, but I think he was the leader of a looting party after an American raid. It was a sheaf of documents recording the transfer of large sums of money by certain individuals, both German and American. Big men who wanted to make sure that they'd come out right no matter whose armies won. Winter mm. knew that he'd found a fortune that day. Fortune in blackmail. Well, what what happened? He kept it in a public locker in a desk. Normally the safest place in the world. Mm in a town down here in Virginia, Argyle, oh And a million to one twist, he lost it. The of young hoodlums blew open that section with a dynamite stick. He's been missing ever since, until Alan Pierce started hinting about it in his column in the international scandal was involved. Mm. So when Pierce died, to see whether they had a right to suspect that Pierce's murderer might have the album. Naturally, the big man lost it, too. Lots of people it badly. Including me.
2: Hmm? You? What for?
7: Resale value.
2: Huh. I see. Well, huh? it's a decent motive.
7: I'm a decent person.
2: Yeah. There you are.
1: Come here. Oh, you nice. What a nice boy.
2: You know, I can just press my thumb and say like a windpipe and
7: couldn't even yell. I thought of that.
2: You're not kidding me.
7: Yes, I'll get to winter. You choked me and I couldn't gel. You get on the fire escape and I'll give you plenty of time before I call.
2: You. I don't figure what's in it for you. We'll see each other again. Yes. Huh? Hurry. Okay, honey. You asked for it.
7: Not too hard.
2: It was a funny experience choking a woman deliberately. I squeezed pretty hard, scuffing bruises at her throat to make it look good. I got so mixed up I didn't know what I was doing. I, I took her once and kissed her very hard. I rumbled her clothes a little and mustered hair and. When she looked pretty battered, I kissed her again, and then I crawled out in the fire escape and down. I gave the cabby the Worcester Street address from Pierce's book. It was a junkyard. Joe Broad's junkyard. What do you want? You Mr. Broad, Joe Broad. That's
5: my name. What do you want?
2: The Argyle album.
5: What? How did you... I know you. You're that Mitchell guy, the police one for the murder of Alan (laughs) Pierce. If you move, I'll kill you. (laughs) Say, I got you figured, Brian. Huh?
2: Yeah, you're you're the fence for all the juvenile crooks around here. Oh, some junkyard.
5: Well, I'm on lots better terms for the cops than you are, Mitchell. And I'm fooling them right now. Sure,
2: sure. One of your kids brought you a nice white leather book with a two-headed eagle on it. Maybe you stretched and gave him two bits for it. Then you found out you had something too big for a little guy. You knew it was worth dough, but your stomach wasn't tough enough for big-time blackmail.
1: Yeah,
2: so you figured a way to be right. You still make dough. Sell it to Alan Pierce.
5: What of it? Selling's no crime. Hey,
2: I'm really guessing, but good, huh? You invested the price of a couple of photostats in a train ticket to Washington. You got to Pierce and sold him the photostats. And then you told him he'd have to come here for the rest, huh? Nothing to keep me from killing you right now. No, no,
5: I guess there isn't. Sure not. You're a fugitive, aren't you? Escape killer, you're able to touch me. Wait, wait,
2: don't! Don't
7: you even say thanks when you're nice to see?
2: Thanks. A nice shot.
7: Don't mention it. You wonder how I knew you were here. Yeah,
2: you watched me take the cab from the window and got the number. I, I know that one now.
7: Oh, you're bright as well as nice. Maybe we can play this game together now that we have the album.
2: Huh? Have we? Well, it can't be
7: far. From the desk drawer, the filing...
2: <gasps> I think we both saw a broad move at the same time. The gun at the edge of his fingers was somehow in his hands again. It wavered weakly between Marla and me. It was like watching a slow-motion movie. Mala didn't waste time. I saw the sweet little body jump at the impact, but his gun kept waving, and it went off. Mala sighed and fell down at my feet. She smiled at me once. That's all. I walked through three cops in the hall of the police station getting no more reaction than a nod of greeting. And into Horslip Sampson's office.
5: Thanks for the phone call, Mitchell. But you gave us a bum steer. What's your angle? Bum
2: steer. I saw the shooting. We
5: found a woman. Very dead indeed. But there was
2: no man. Your bra? He didn't look alive when I saw him last. Well,
5: he wasn't there. I'm only telling you. And what do you expect us to do with you? Well,
2: book me on suspicion of murder. The murder of who, may I ask? Alan Pierce, naturally.
5: You, uh want to consist?
2: Uh, it, it's not bargain day today. Anything. Oh, it was just an angle. Look, did, did the autopsy on Pierce come through? I
5: was wondering why you gave yourself up. Yeah, he died a heart failure, like he claimed. But only because he was so loaded with dope, even a normal heart would give out. Dope? You mean poison? No, thanks. Too much medicine. And Dr. Van Selden, the one who dosed him, has disappeared. Took a powder. You're not even running up a suspect now, Mitchell.
2: Heart failure. But then why the scalpel? Why? Whoever stuck that scalpel into Pierce wanted to create suspicious circumstances around the death so they'd be sure there'd be enough.
5: Hey, that's an angle.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but how about Pinky? How did the murderer get in and out of the room? How? i you.
5: You want to be held? No. Then stop asking questions I can't answer. Go on, beat it. (laughs)
2: It, I found myself nursing a deep belief that there must be equal justice for the murders of a man I loved, another I respected, and a woman I. I. admired. Well, there was only one place I could figure out where to start. I picked my way through Joe Broad's junkyard. Shapes of skeleton cars stood out dark in the moonlight. At the far end of the yard was a lighted shack. I went up to it, almost to the door. Somebody pushed me from behind. My own body knocked the door open. Hey, Broad was propped into a chair facing me, his eyes wide. Winter stood beside him, and Gil walked up from behind me, alongside.
4: Oh. Come in, Mitchell. Thanks. Well, Mr. Mitchell, this is a proper ending. Another demonstration of the ascendancy of Will.
2: Is he alive?
4: Who? Broad oh, here? No, not now. He was very weak and had no resistance, but we learned what we needed. He had the album quite cleverly hidden. But we have it now. Oh, yeah. You want to see it?
2: Thanks. Say, uh, who hired Dr. Van Selden to kill Pierce?
4: A very powerful and very wealthy individual. Most concerned with retrieving the album, Mr.
2: Mitchell. But you didn't want it to be heart failure. You wanted to force an autopsy. That's why you stuck the scalpel into the corpse. <laughs> That's rather clever of you, Mr. Mitchell. And in the hospital, you you were dressed as an attendant, right? Huh? You got behind that bed screen sometime earlier in the day, probably early in the morning, before Pierce woke up, right? You were willing to wait a long time for what you wanted.
7: It was very tough. You hoped
2: to find out from Pierce where he had hidden the album. You found out instead that Pierce didn't have it. But you knew that Pierce was going to die anyhow from the overdose. So you decided to frame the doctor with the scalpel forcing the autopsy. You know, there's only one conceivable reason for you to have taken all those chances.
4: And what, may I ask, can that conceivable reason be?
2: That you are the powerful and wealthy individual who got Dr. Van Selben to do Pierce's murder. Really? That you are no more Mr. Winter than I am. No yeah, the original Mr. Winter who smuggled the album out of Europe, you eliminated when he first tried to blackmail you and your fellow thieves. Thieves?
1: Oh, By really? that line
2: of reasoning, I was able to do a little research in the files of my reporter's memory. And in spite of the fact that you have no mustache and there are several other slightly physical changes that could be easily adjusted, you have an amazing resemblance to the very powerful, very wealthy, Mr. Gerald K. Avery. <laughs> theory,
4: merely theory. But isn't this indulgence in violence a strange occupation for a man
2: like Gerald Avery? Not at all, Mr. Avery. man doesn't become an international power by, uh, by going to Sunday school every week. You decided nobody could do your dirty work better than yourself. I suppose you... Well, you needed help, so you got a professional adventurist like Marla... to work with you on the grounds that you yourself were an adventurer, a blackmailer. The same goes for Gil here. Yeah,
4: your time's run over, Mitchell.
2: And Pinky, yeah. Pinky. Of course, it doesn't bother you that you killed a nice guy with a nice family. You, he was only in the way. You stuck the scalpel into Pierce's corpse to save yourself some more trouble. The trouble of paying off Dr. Van Selven. He'll probably show up floating. You dragged Pinky behind the screen... And you got behind with him and hid. Then when all the doctors and attendants broke into the room and rushed around Pierce's bed, you stepped out casually from behind the screen and mingled with the crowd. Ah, yeah, you... you were dressed for the part.
4: <laughs> as a reporter, Mr. Mitchell, would you describe that exploit as daring or brilliant? No.
2: No, Mr. Avery. i would use the words selfish, traitorous, foul. Oh. Your morality sickens me. There's one more thing you didn't count on, Gil. Gil here. Gil
4: has nothing to do with
2: it. Oh, yes, he has. You keep your mouth shut. I'll do nothing of the sword. Let him talk. Gil! Let go of my arm. Let him talk. Thanks. Thanks, Gil. Just keep hold of that arm. Oh, okay. As I was saying, Avery, you forgot that Marla and Gil have been playing along with you because they figured you were their kind. There is a certain honor among little crooks. Not among you big timers, Mr. Avery. Man. Now, you have the album. The album that couldn't hurt anybody but yourself. Who's the blackmail? Where's the payoff? Gil's wondering what's going to protect his interests. He knows now what happened to Dr. Van Selden. He knows. You see, he figured you for an honest crook, not a big timer. He he he's only
4: playing for time. He's only really trying to save his own miserable skin. I'll pay you off, Gil. I'll pay you more than you've ever dreamed. Oh really are, Geraldy, you're Don't be an idiot, Gil now. You cooperate with me
2: and I Gil That was a bad mistake of mister Gerald K. Avery. You see he figured his gun was bigger than Gill. He moved fast, but not quite fast enough. The lead hit Gill on the shoulder, but that didn't even faze him. I understand he broke Avery's arm. That's when Avery screamed. The next blow broke Avery's neck. Well, there was an awful lot of excitement because horselip shadows caught up with the proceedings just about this time, and the details aren't too clear. All I know is, oh, that it has been a big day. I was awfully tired. I went home, climbed in bed and slept a long, long time with my head on a nice pillow made of tooled white leather.
3: Suspend. Suspense! Presented by Roma, that's R-O-M-A, Better Tasting Roma Wines, America's Largest Selling Wines. Whichever Roma California wine you choose, whether it's nut-like Roma Sherry, fruity Roma Port, or any Roma wine, you can be sure of better tasting wine every time. That's because Roma selects and presses the choicest California grapes. Then, Roma master vintners with ancient skills and America's largest wine-making resources unhurriedly guide this luscious grape goodness to tempting perfection. Then, this wine treasure of better taste is placed with mellow Roma wines of years before to await later selection from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines for your pleasure. So, for everyday enjoyment or friendly hospitality, serve delicious Roma wines you'll find all Roma wines delightful, inexpensive, and always better tasting. That's why more Americans enjoy Roma wines, that's R-O-M-A, Roma wines, than any other wines in the world.
4: Edmund O'Brien appeared through the courtesy of Universal International Pictures, now releasing Something in the Wind, starring Deanna Durbin. Tonight's suspense play was by Cyril Enfield. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Michael O'Shea, a star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Welcome back. Well, Mr. Mitchell was a rough character, actually ends up uh, hitting a couple of uh, women in the course of this episode, despite saying it was something he hated doing. Though, to be fair, the second time it was to frame up an escape attempt. Though, in many ways, this is a typical Edmund O'Brien performance, uh, because he did tend to be given these characters who had a lot of rough edges. But nonetheless, they still have a sense of morality and justice and uh, a real anger at the, that sort of injustice, which was something he would bring to the role of uh, Johnny Dollar. Uh, which, speaking of, there was I mentioned I was uh, listening to an Edmund O'Brien episode for this uh, special, Winston wrote in, Edmund O'Brien as Johnny Dollar always sounded like he was about to punch someone in the face just because. It was a jarring lesson since I started with the Bob Bailey Johnny Dollar who was far more uh amenable. Now a fan of all the Johnnies. Thanks, Adam. Well, thanks so much for the comment, Winston. And it's also interesting to note here that he played this uh newspaper man named Mitchell, uh, a couple years before he recorded the pilot for *Not Beat*, where the character he played was named Hank Mitchell. I don't know how much of that was coincidence. This actually wasn't originally an O'Brien role. Uh, this was actually first done in 1945, uh, and it was done with uh, uh, Robert Taylor. Uh, I just prefer Edmund O'Brien overall, so... An interesting coincidence there, and I hope you enjoyed this uh, program. I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And thanks so much to Shauna. Shauna has been supporting the program as a Patreon supporter since June, and is currently supporting us at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support. All right, join us back here tomorrow as we continue our Listener's Choice Countdown with the number two series in the countdown. And uh, in the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.